Hello, and welcome to episode 90 of the MJ Cast. I'm Elise Capron, and I'm thrilled to be your host for our Thriller Night special for Halloween. Jamin and Q are not able to join us today because Jamin is busy building the new studio Brisbane, and we're super happy for him and his family as they get settled into their new house, and Q is off exploring the world after celebrating his recent birthday. The other reason they are not on today's episode is because we'll be discussing the recent theater release of Thriller 3D, which unfortunately was not shown in Australia. Sorry, guys. So while I know you'll miss their voices on the show, I'll be here to guide you through an exciting roundtable discussion about Thriller 3D. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood. To terrorize your neighborhood Whosoever shall be found Without the soul for getting down Must stand and face the hounds of hell And rot inside a corpse's shell I'm gonna go to the mountain of my way The foulest edges in the air Funk of forty thousand years and grisly goons from every tomb are closing in to see your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver. For no mere mortal can resist the evil of the land. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. I'm pleased to welcome two great guests today, both of whom are longtime friends of the show. They are James L.A., who goes way back with the MJ Cast and has been part of our team from the very beginning. He's also a researcher and mega fan and is very involved in the Truth Untold movement. And we also have Andy Healy, a frequent show guest and author of the fantastic MJ 101 ebook series. His next book to be released is on the Invincible album. And I'm so pleased to have you both on the show today, guys. How are you both doing? Very well. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Thank you. Awesome. I'm so excited. Now, Andy, the last time we had you on the show, I believe it was for the MJ 101 episode about Thriller 35 back in April. And James, it's been a really long time since we had you on the show. I think the last time we heard your voice was on episode 52 with Michael Prince, which aired in March of 2017. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's probably right. Uh, it uh, feels like just yesterday, but I guess, uh, yeah, it's probably been about a year and a half and uh, it's too long. So I'm happy to be back. It has been too long. It has been too long. And that in particular was such a fantastic episode and always just continues to be a listener favorite. 
Um, and before that, you guys were both actually on our last formal roundtable album discussion that we had, which was the Dangerous 25 episode, which was back in December of 2016. So it has been way, way too long. Um, and also just been way too long since we did a roundtable discussion in general. So guys, first, I have to say that it's exciting to all be calling in from the same continent. Maybe the first time that's happened. So listeners, as you may not know, we are all recording from the US today. No one has to be calling in at 3am. Um, and James, you're in Ohio, right? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm in the Cleveland area. Uh, Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. And how are things there? Are you guys starting to get a little bit of winter or what's going on? Uh, not winter, actually just beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous fall. The air is nice and crisp and the leaves are turning and uh, the sun is still bright. It was, it was actually a gorgeous day today. Oh, that sounds great. Um, and Andy, you're our resident Australian in Los Angeles. And how are you doing up there just a couple hours north of Studio San Diego? Uh, we are uh, doing fine. It is, uh, you know, continually hot as it tends to be in L.A., um, but hopefully it's going to start to cool down as we approach uh, what they call winter, but I'm yet to experience such a thing here. How's San Diego for you? Oh, San Diego is great. I think it stays a little bit cooler here, or I guess just I, whenever I go to LA, I'm not as near the coast, I suppose. So I always feel like LA is hotter, but maybe that's my little brain working in weird ways. <laughs> So um, I'm very excited to jump into this roundtable discussion of Thriller 3D. So just to explain to our listeners the format we'll be using today, especially since it's been a while since our last roundtable episode, we'll be covering several big topics, including our personal Thriller 3D experiences, our thoughts on the remastering, the impact and the legacy of the Thriller short film, as well as our feelings around if and when we should support the MJ estate with projects like this, as well as what we'd like to see for Thriller in the future. Each roundtable member will have a chance to chime in, and I know we'll get into lots of interesting discussion along the way. So guys, are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Definitely. Awesome. So we'll start off by having you, each of you take us on a journey back into time to your very first memory of seeing the Thriller short film after its original release back in 1983, or whenever you first saw it. James, can we start with you? Tell us about when you first saw Thriller. Well, I don't know for sure I can say it's when I first saw Thriller, but I know my... So I was born in 1984, and uh, I know when I was some of my earliest memories were of just this idea of being very scared of Thriller. I know my uncle had a convenience store that started to rent uh, videotapes, and this would have been in like 1993, so I would have been nine years old. And he, one of the tapes he rented out was the making of Thriller, and um, it was my uncle's store, and I remember renting the video from his store, and I never returned it. And literally to this day, I still have... My copy of that tape is the one I stole, essentially, as a nine-year-old boy from my uncle's store. Um, you are so. racking up those late fees, my friend. <laughs> that's, that's for sure, for sure. Um, and uh, it's it's just the cute little thing. And he, and he like even to this uh, to this day, he'll he'll joke about the tape I I, I stole from him. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a you know what can I say about Thriller? It's it's. I guess that's part of this whole discussion. It's uh, uh, it feels sort of like basic MJ, 
And I and uh, in the sense that you know, if someone is going to say they're a Michael Jackson fan, chances are they're going to sort of credit Thriller as the reason why. I think that sort of created a sort of a lack of appreciation for the short film itself over the years. I can honestly say that uh, Thriller 3D has sort of renewed my perspective on Thriller in in a lot of ways. So uh, I kind of almost I hate it sounds almost corny, but I almost feel like I've rediscovered it for the first time since probably 1993. That's really, really interesting. And I definitely want to talk more about that, too, when we talk about seeing it again um, recently. But, you know, I think you've really like honed in on something that's really valuable there. So that's great. Um, And and then, Andy, what about you? So my experience of Thriller was actually um, seeing it. I guess uh, not necessarily live, but when it debuted, because I was alive (laughs) back in uh, 1983. And there was a show in Australia called Countdown, which was basically held on a Sunday night and they would play music clips from around the world and then count down the top 10 uh, singles in Australia. And so they had this special event and I think they showed it at like 11 o'clock at night from memory or it was like 11.50 or something. They were doing it deliberately close to midnight. I may be, you might have listeners who are saying, no, that never happened, but that's my memory of it. And it was, you know, in the, in the lead up to Christmas and they were debuting it on the countdown special, I guess. And I remember just sitting there watching this amazing, mind blowing short film. And I'd lived through kind of the thriller album being in existence for that year and, and having it just blow up and seeing the, the, you know, the, the short films for Billie Jean and for Beat It and kind of knowing what Michael was capable of, but this just took it to another level. And um, I have to agree with what James said. You know, there's something about seeing it in 3D that makes you feel like you're almost watching it for that very first time. And I'm sure we'll, we'll dig deep into this, but it's, you know, it's iconic for a reason. And to be able to revisit it and to see it in a cinema, which I'd never done, you know, prior to, to last year, and then see it again this year, you know, it, it, it kind of plays where it's meant to be played. It is a short film, so seeing it in a cinema setting kind of gives it that extra bit of uh, added thrill. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm very jealous that you were there at the moment. In fact, I'm jealous of a lot of the stories you tell when you're on the MJ cast about being there in this slightly earlier phase than a lot of us were and getting to be there for the releases of things. Um, I have constant jealousy of Andy Healy for all the listeners. Um, As far as I go, I mean, yeah, I was, uh, I'm a little bit like James's story. Um, I really grew up with the bad album. So all of the thriller stuff was just a little bit before my time. And so I mostly saw thriller, um, you know, on when it would air on MTV and renting videos and things like that. For me, it was almost just part of kind of the landscape of like my growing up and listening to other Michael Jackson stuff. And of course I loved it, but uh, it, I I never quite had that defining moment with Thriller in particular for whatever reason. It was just this epic thing that was kind of the backdrop for everything else, which I think also, you know, kind of plays into how um, we see Thriller now in a lot of ways um, and also kind of touches on what you're both saying in terms of really appreciating it fully. It's always been there in the backdrop for so many people as part of our popular culture, but have we been able to look at it in a fresh way? Have we really appreciated it for the last couple of decades? Um, I don't think we have. 
Um, so I had that exact same experience going to see it in the theater as well. Um, so let's dive into our first topic, which is around the actual thriller 3D experience. Um, we'll hold off on discussing the remastering and kind of technical details until we get to the next topic. But first, I'd like to discuss the experience of going to the theater, watching it, the crowd response, um, also whether the theater, in your view, properly advertised that it was happening, if the staff knew about it, just all things around that. Um, Andy, could you maybe start this one off and share your story of seeing Thriller 3D? I actually got to see it premiere at Grauman's Chinese Theatre September last year when they were doing the, the whole screen debacle effort. And that was the 16-9 ratio. Um, I know we'll jump into all the technical stuff later, but basically that was the kind of the widescreen ratio. And having lived Thriller always in kind of TV 4.3, which is just the standard format, seeing it in 16.9 was, was, you know, kind of a little bit more epic and filmic. But I did have issues with some things in that screening. Um, when I heard they were doing the IMAX presentation uh, as the pre-show for The House with a Clock in the Walls, um, I jumped at the chance to be able to see it again. That, it was a weird thing because promotion-wise, the way I found out about it was um, someone posted about it in the Michael Jackson archives on Facebook. And I was kind of like, oh, wow, uh, where is it showing? Where's my nearest IMAX theater? I want to see this. And I, even my experience with the IMAX website was a little bit confusing because um, obviously the house with the clock in the walls was a 2D film. And so they were showing that it was showing in 2D cinemas. And I was like, but I want the Thriller 3D experience. And so it was a tad confusing. Uh, and the screening that I actually went to, um, which was about a 10 o'clock session on the Friday night. Um, so I think it launched on the Thursday night, on the Friday night. And it was a not a, not a wildly packed, I would say maybe a quarter filled um, theatre. And um, the experience itself was fantastic and everyone in the theatre who was there seemed to enjoy it. But I think there was a missed opportunity in the way that, that it was promoted, potentially with the film that it was paired with. And I just think, to me, I almost, there's part of me that hopes that this was almost a test case, that they were seeing how did it play, how, did, how was it received, and then maybe they would do something, you know, proper with with a more concerted effort but i think i might just be kind of you know <laughs> grasping at straws on that one but yeah it was a, it was a weird experience in terms of feeling like there was no promotion for it and no real exposure to it until you you know a couple of days before on the imax website when it really started to be kind of made clear that was at least my experience uh, what was your guys like you know i i was honestly pretty low-key about it i I think I saw it on the fan forums and then eventually got uh, an email from, you know, the official MJ Michael Jackson newsletter. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of, I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll pre-order tickets. And I, I bought tickets for the first Saturday in the afternoon for me and three, me and my husband and two friends. So me and three other people went to the theater, the, the, we didn't, they didn't, they knew nothing about the, that art print that we were supposed to get. But I didn't care too much about it, really, so I, I didn't make a fuss about it. But she handed us our glasses, and uh, I think I sort of facetiously asked, what are those for? She was very, like, 
millennial about it, I guess. She was just like, I guess they're doing thriller before the movie. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and like, I'm wearing a thriller shirt. So obviously, like, I it's what I was there for. But <laughs> so we um, go to the theater. And by the time it, it was just, it was exciting, kind of, because it was, it just felt very like kind of old school, kind of event. You know, it's the IMAX theaters are relatively rare we had to drive you know across town to to go to one in the in the room i think i i did the math i actually counted uh there were 11 people total two were definitely there you know they were younger like a young kid and a parent they were definitely there for um the uh the, the actual the house with the walls that have eyes <laughs> um that's uh, how i feel about that movie title too <laughs> my party, there's, there was, so there was my party of four. We were just there for Thriller. There was a group of two other young guys, probably in their 20s, who are definitely there for Thriller, which was very exciting because uh, they were sort of just like us, even though I don't know them. It's always a good feeling. And, uh, and then another party that I think were there for the film. So by, I calculated literally that uh, in our theater, uh, Thriller was a... Uh, I think I calculated a 30% boost uh, conservatively um, at our showing. And I, and I think, Andy, you're probably right that it is a test. And uh, if, if they're trying to do some sort of math, part of that might be that uh, Thriller 3D is certainly a boost to a film. At least I would have otherwise no interest in seeing. In fact, we walked out on the movie about 10 minutes into it. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit more about that film choice were they just trying to boost a film they didn't think was going to do well or was it trying to appeal to kind of a new generation who might happen upon thriller and hadn't seen it before what are your thoughts on kind of what they were really trying to to achieve with that i think they were trying to appeal to a young audience that would seem to be the the rationale for choosing uh, i'm just going to call it the house the house with the clock in its walls it was a decent fit because it was a family-friendly film, I guess, so it would have drawn in a younger crowd. But I don't know how many of the younger kids would be going off to see it in IMAX as opposed to just a normal 2D showing elsewhere. You know, there was part of me that felt like it should have been a better fit with something a little bit more timely and tied into Halloween. And the obvious choice uh, for us might be the Halloween uh, movie that's just come out now, but that's rated R, so that kind of restricts a key demo audience that they're trying to go to. Personally, if I was going to look at what's available now and what to pair it with, I probably would have paired it with Goosebumps 2. Good call. That's at least kind of, you know, young kid, teen, and a little bit more fun and a little bit more scare, which is what Thriller is all about. So, But I don't know whether Goosebumps 2 was formatted for IMAX. So, you know, there's all these things when you're playing... Um, not just a 3D movie, but you're playing a 3D IMAX movie, there's lots of complications and, I guess, matching up that you need to have. But I think it, it could have been a, a better film. I don't know whether this is going to be like an annual event that they're going to do or... Um, I mean, it's interesting that it was September of last year. I forget when I actually saw it, but it would have, was it September or October of this year? I think it was almost exactly the same date because I remember when Scream happened. So I don't know whether it is something that they're annually, you know, trying to build, but it feels like a long time between drinks if that's the case. So, 
Yeah, it's always going to be an interesting choice of what movie they pair it with because you're either going to, you know, go the pure horror kind of uh, route and then you restrict your audience or you go the uh, the kid-friendly route and maybe you do introduce a whole new generation to it and you're going to pull in, uh, you know, the fans like us who will, will go and see it. I, I think this film choice seems very aligned with sort of the vibe and the feeling and the audience that the Michael Jackson Halloween special from last year fit into it. it the, the film in that special almost kind of had that same same level of scare. And uh, it, I, I, think, I think we're sort of seeing a deliberate honing in on who they are planning on uh, pitching Michael Jackson to in the future. They've done it twice now. Yeah, I think you're exactly on point with that. James, um, I fully agree because yeah, the house with a clock and its walls and its hands and its eyes, um, <laughs> definitely. I mean, it had that still that campy, scary element to it. I did sit through the entire movie <laughs> because I like Jack Black, even though it was a little bit silly. Um, but that's never a movie I would have gone to see. Um, and in my case, I don't think anyone was there to see Thriller at all. So people who also might not have known Thriller well actually did get exposed to it. I had a couple people in the audience who were kind of, you know, like middle-aged guys who um, I don't think had come for that, but did say, oh my gosh, I haven't seen that in X number of years. And they seemed really jazzed about it. So that was actually kind of cool too. My terrible story is that I was so convinced because the movie was 2D that somehow magically Thriller was going to be in 2D also. I don't know what was wrong with me. And I didn't grab 3D glasses. (laughs) (laughs) And then the second, which was the whole reason I had come to this thing, right? And the second it started, I start freaking out and make my husband run out the theater to get my glasses. No. <laughs> what was I thinking, uh, you guys? I know better than this, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I know. And I was like, just a, a total, very upset. Um, but he, he came back in time with my glasses. So I <laughs> did get to see it. But that's how totally, like, I mean, that's the level of complete lack of information there was at the screening I went to. There were no posters. Um, nobody seemed to know anything about it. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was, and it was hard for me as well to really find reliable information on where to even see it. Um, so, yeah, I think we can all agree that hopefully, if they do make this a regular thing, that they will really promote it more because clearly there were people seeking the information. And if it is put in a place that people could actually stumble across, I think they could get a lot more of an audience. And I think it's interesting that they, you know, they obviously have it prepped for IMAX now. They obviously have it prepped just for normal 3D. So to me, it didn't make sense why it wasn't in just normal cinemas uh, because I think you know, I don't know what the breakdown was, but I would argue that maybe the house with the clock on its walls, the IMAX pressing of it is maybe a quarter of the cinemas it would have been in. And again, to me, there's that disconnect between watching a 3D special event before a 2D movie. I was then expecting the house with the clock on its walls to be in 3D. So I think if, if they do do this again, they need to really look at, sort of the the movie that they're going to pair it with and I think it also should be a 3D movie so that whether or not you see it in IMAX or whether you just see it at the local cinema 
in in a three D showing that it's you know it feels like a a complete viewing experience of both the the pre show thriller and the actual movie that it's paired with, and I think that will take out a lot of the confusion over well is it am i watching it in 2d do i need these glasses or not or is it is it a 3d film in in fact that's actually interesting because uh really in in a marketing sense uh the fact that the house film was 2d and thriller 3d is in 3d sort of allows the house to market itself with using the words or the letters 3D. And so I wonder if in some in some way there is benefit to whatever production companies behind the house in this pairing thinking okay well hey we get we get to play the 3D angle for our film too to give it a little boost. I actually never thought of that which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I do think that's interesting. I do think there there is a uh, a sort of study component to what we are seeing this year i think the pacing sort of last year now again this year on a slightly wider scale uh i I think they are sort of i don't know i just get the feeling there's some sort of calculation going on in and there's a plan for something greater and wider in some year following or at least a plan to package something to someone using this information if that makes sense because it, they, they they really they could not have the number of if you calculate the the number of screens i forget how many imax screens but it was like 300 or something it, it wasn't a, a, a large number if you calculate the total possible revenue it's a it's a very small meager number um at least to the levels that the estate would want so this has got to be part of some greater vision or greater plan I think. Yeah, and look, um, I'm just looking at the box office receipts. So as of October 21st of this year, House and Clock and Its Walls grow $64.9 million in the United States and Canada. So, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to know what kind of bump Thriller 3D had, if any. But uh, I was like you guys, you know, we were definitely there to, to see Thriller 3D and then stuck around to, to see the movie. It would be interesting to know, and I'm sure somewhere uh, within Universal and all the estate, they've got you know a report that says, okay, it gave it a 15% bump, which then the estate could potentially use to market it as an add-on or a pre-show for future releases and make it a much more appealing package. But yeah, it, it, it feels a little... When we get into the further discussion, I was really excited that I got to see it and I really loved it, but it does feel a little testing the waters and a little half-assed in terms of picking the movie and, and having it just for a week and all these kinds of things that, um, I mean, I, I know a lot of friends who sort of found out about it on the last day that it was airing. Um, and it was like, oh, I can't get to it to see it tonight, but okay, there goes my chance to see Thriller 3D. In terms of promotion, Thriller and Michael Jackson is such a social phenom and uh, the opportunity for some sort of social media tie-in or promotion is huge, and they did not take advantage of it. And just imagine outside these showings, um, these event-like showings, you know that picture of Michael in the thriller jacket where all the ghosts are sort of sort of packed around him and kind of above him and to his sides, and he's in the middle? 
it's mm-hmm. that sort of iconic shot. Um, yeah. Imagine a, a sort of pop-up cutout thing where you put your head in and you're one of the goblins next to Michael as a social media, as a component to get people to post and share on social media. Ideas like that, the, the promotion that we've seen thus far around Thriller 3D has been very low-key and has been very, uh, if anything, sort of to the trade press rather than to the consumer media. Does that make sense? Like it's it's almost like trade news, business news, industry news, more so than it is, hey moms, Thriller 3D is playing it, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> it's like they're, they're not talking to the moms or the kids or the dads, really. They're not promoting it to them, it doesn't seem, uh, this year. Uh, it seemed like they're talking to their peers in the industry rather than talking to the actual audiences. Um, I, I, it's they're definitely doing a, a pretty sophisticated uh, study around some offering um, that I hope is much bigger than a few hundred screens um, for one week at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, even the the giveaway poster likewise was kind of a a non-event i i even i was aware of it and then didn't even think to ask for it and wasn't offered it in buying my ticket or or getting my my glasses and thankfully you know mega fan charles reed went to a screening on the last day and there was like a hundred posters left over so (laughs) the guy behind the counter gave it to him and um charles was kind enough to to send me a, a a a copy of it but um, yeah, I mean, it's those kind of things, even, you know, in the coming soon displays that you that you pass as you go to, to your screening, you know, seeing that, as you say, that iconic shot, that kind of thriller poster put up two weeks before just to get people excited and aware of it, I think will go a long way. I, as I say, I keep coming back to the to the false hope that uh, that it's a test case of some sort to kind of show either that, yeah, when it's packaged, it, it helps bump um, sales or they're just seeing how it plays or they're doing it with a plan to do something bigger. But I guess we have to wait and see. You know, Andy, I think that's interesting. What you both have said is great and also actually kind of makes me a little bit hopeful because I hadn't thought about it in that way as a potential test case that's not for the moms and not for, you know, the the mainstream audience, but really just to see what they might do with it, which, which, you know, makes, makes me feel optimistic that we have really good things coming that might make a lot more sense. So that's great. I actually feel good about that.
I'm Vincent Patterson. Please come and join us on the MJ cast. We'd love to have you with us. So shall we move on to the actual remastering itself and the audio and video quality of the short film? Andy, let's start with you just because you are 
you know, you saw it last year and can really speak to the aspect ratio changes. And then let's get into whatever else you'd like to talk about. Um, and, uh, and also any other differences between last year and this year that you saw in the quality of the film. So, yeah, I mean, I saw it at Grauman's with the screen premiere and I don't know where I, if it was because of where I was sitting, but to me, the, the mix at that screening felt off. Uh, the percussion felt wildly loud. The congas, for some reason, just stuck in my head uh, to the point of a distraction. Um, and I'll, I'll admit, I'm kind of, you know, I have quite acute hearing and many of my friends actually call me dog ears because I can hear things in mixes that aren't overly noticeable. So uh, for me, that was distracting. And I saw people afterwards and I went, oh, man, those congas just drove me in. And they were like, what are you talking about? So I put my hand up and it could be me. <laughs> Could also be that I was hearing it for the first time in like the 5.1 mix in a cinema. From an audio point of view, the IMAX mix felt clearer and felt more complete and more balanced. And so that to me from an, from an audio point of view was much more enjoyable. And even from a visual point of view, because the IMAX screen was almost back to the 4.3 um, original format of Thriller, just much, much, much larger. But a, a similar kind of ratio as, a pro, as opposed to kind of the letterboxing of a 16 by 9, which if everyone, you know, has seen, I'm just trying to think, any old film, like if you watched Star Wars when you were growing up and saw it on TV and that was, you know, before widescreen TVs, that was the classic 4.3 and they would either do what was known as a center cut, which was basically they would literally just cut the middle of the, the 16 by 9 frame and that's what was shown or they would do something called pan and scan, which is basically they would have that center cut, but then they would move to the left or right, maybe a little bit up, maybe a little bit down, just to follow whatever was uh, the action was taking place or if a, a certain character was, was talking. So for me, IMAX kind of referred more back to the original kind of format that we'd all known and loved. And the 16.9 by actually letterboxing meant that you would lose some top and some bottom it's just the 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 trade-off to get a wider screen you've got to lose a little bit of the top a little bit of the bottom so i know there were i think jamin was uh, was one of the people who was you know how can you do that and have michael jump out of the screen so you kind of lose his head in one of the shots and it wasn't as drastic as that um i mean there was definitely him moving out of frame um but it's you know momentary I think the overall impact of seeing it in 3D, um, whether the 16 by 9 or my preferred viewing of this IMAX this time round, was just an absolute wow factor. Um, they've definitely remastered it beautifully. They've gone back and cleaned it up and um, made it a lot clearer, which in some instances is great. And in other instances, it kind of loses some of the darkness and some of the eeriness that, that maybe you know, multiple viewings over time put in our heads. But for me, it was a really interesting experience because I deliberately hadn't watched Thriller in its entirety for a good couple of months. Not that I knew that it was coming out, but I just hadn't watched it. And then so when I knew it was coming out, I was like, okay, I'm not going to watch it because otherwise I will be constantly referencing things. And for me, it felt like I was seeing it for the first time. That opening shot of the car driving along, uh, to pull into the dirt road to me felt like I was like I've never seen this shot before they must have added this in and I literally had to go back that night and re-watch Thriller at home and kind of go oh no that shot's always been in there 
but I just never noticed it. And because you're seeing it in 3D with this beautiful depth of field and, the, and it looks like you're peering through trees to, to follow the car as it drives around, all those little elements are what really draw you into the film and give you this amazing experience. Um, you know, and that kind of sums up the 3D conversion. There's moments like, you know, Michael transforming into the werewolf or werecat, the werecat chase, you know, the graveyard emergence with the zombies. And I think, I mean, guys, am I mistaken in thinking that there was an extra scene in that graveyard with like an extra one or two ghouls coming out? Uh, I'll tell you, I noticed the ghouls like I've never noticed before. So it's definitely (laughs) possible. Uh, Like, in fact, that's one of the things that impressed me the most was just how how each ghoul was in itself a uh, a work of art part of a greater piece of art and uh so so that's possible for sure uh, yeah i mean i i just uh, and again it may be just seeing that clarity and seeing but it felt like there was one or two extra things that i didn't at least notice before i hadn't registered like for example when the four ghouls are doing their hip-hop kind of popping locking scene in the middle of the dance section I never noticed that there were two zombie ghouls behind them that are just kind of shuffling step, step. Never noticed that before. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and then I was like, where did they, where, oh, they must have put those in. Again, came home, watched, went, you're an idiot. They've always been there. But because of that clarity, you were starting to see, and, and that depth of field, you were starting to see things in, in the background that you'd never seen before. You were starting to really register things in the foreground that, little details that you hadn't noticed. And, you know, I I don't want to hog this whole thing, but the moment when the dance sequence happens is when I think 3D comes into its own for this because it is like seeing the whole routine for the first time and you do feel like Michael is literally kind of dancing on a stage as opposed to being on a screen. What did you guys, how how was your experience? Uh, I think you touched on so many points uh, that I, I would agree on, Andy. You you talked about the shot with the car. The shot for me uh, was probably just a few seconds later, you know, where where your mind is just blown. And it, it was when they sh- it was when they showed Michael's face. I think either looking down or looking up, about to ask her the question or whatever it is. That first shot of Michael's face, and you notice. I don't know if this has been discussed on the fan forums, and, and please, by the way, forgive me if this is like a controversial topic. I don't think it is, but I noticed on Michael's left jawline a vitiligo blotch that was obviously covered up with makeup. And I don't know if I don't know has this been discussed at all anywhere. I haven't. I haven't seen this discussed unless I've missed something, Andy. You can definitely see it because I definitely saw it. Like I went right to it. And my mind was blown and I realized, oh my God, I am going to see things. You know, it just, just you, the realization that I had probably seen this video a thousand times and have never noticed that. Probably because you technically could not have noticed it in the formats I'm seeing it in, the resolutions I'm seeing it in, or from the masters I'm seeing them from. Yeah, so you can see a little bit of cover up on a vitiligo blotch on his... Uh, I guess what's what's his left jawline, and uh, uh, that just shows you the kind of detail we're talking about here. It it really is incredible. Yeah, and even like little things like he doesn't really have a mustache, but there's like little you know facial 
hairs that you kind of really didn't notice before that, <laughs> that just in this clarity, you're like, and look, it's that, it's that double whammy. It's seeing it in a clarity that's taken from the master negative rather than a duplicate of a duplicate of a duplicate or rather than a, you know, a transferred to video to transferred to digital to transferred to whatever. And you're also seeing it on a massive IMAX screen, which is, you know, 14 stories high. So Michael's head is now, you know, 12 stories high. So those little details become massive details. Um, and there is, there is that, James, you're 100% right. There is that, wow, oh my God. Oh my God, did you, wow, what? That? And, uh, you know, I only saw it once on the IMAX thing and I was, I was overly tempted to go back and see it uh, another time, but didn't end up happening. But I don't know whether you guys went and saw it another time or wanted to or... Yeah, I wanted to, but did not. I think that's fantastic. I definitely wanted to see it a second time, but I could only drag my husband with me once. He has only so much patience. James, did you only see it once? I only saw it once. And honestly, I'm actually quite surprised I did not see it uh, a second or third or fourth time. It's actually typically in my nature to do that, especially when I'm so satisfied and Elise, what was your experience like seeing it from a you know the audio and visual remastering point of view? Yeah, I mean, just yeah, I, I mean, incredible, just feeling so completely overwhelmed the entire time, and and then especially like you said, Andy, when the main dance section starts, I also just felt like I was in the room. It was incredible. I saw that dance in a whole new way. I felt surrounded by it. It was. It was fantastic. Um, one silly thing that stood out to me, <laughs> which was, is the least important thing of the entire video, was um, when the credits were rolling, <laughs> the credits actually popped out, which for I, which just made me um, focus so much on what was going on behind the credits. Um, so I actually appreciated that part of the film in a way I had never before. And um, frankly, I had also completely forgotten about the pop-up um at the end, the pop-up zombie, which I thought was was quite fantastic in 3D. But yeah, I mean, I never got to see Thriller in the theater at all. So for me, this was, you know, brand new experience. Um, I was actually re-watching Thriller just today on, on YouTube. And I don't know if I can go back and watch YouTube Thriller anymore um, after seeing the IMAX version, you know, it's, it's a whole different show. Although I do agree um, about it having that darker, shadowier uh, feeling, which definitely you don't get quite with the crisp and clear, but it's so magical. It's like, it's like just rediscovering Michael Jackson all over again. Um, And I'm also shocked that I did not go see it multiple times, Uh, but hopefully like we've been talking about, this is a test run. It will come back. It will become a normal thing and a tradition. Um, We can hope for that. And then at that point, we can all know that we need to grab people to come and see it. um, Now that we know how amazing it is also. Um, One thing I did want to bring up too, is that there was a lot of discussion about um, Michael's skin looking like that, a really odd color in the preview stills they were showing, but that did not seem to be an issue for me in the final. I sent a tweet out about that. As soon as I saw that image, I was like, man, he looks really ashen. And I, and I, I, I said in my tweet, cause I am colorblind. And so I said, look, it may just be my eyes. Maybe the old colorblindness kicking in, but that was a concern because I it didn't 
going back on my memory of seeing it at the screen premiere, it didn't feel that way. So I kind of thought it shouldn't be that way, but I'm seeing this still that makes it feel that way. But yeah, I, I agree, Elise. It wasn't it wasn't an issue at all in the actual uh, screening of it. Right. And James, do you have anything else you want to add kind of on the technical side of things? Uh, no, other, other than, um, was your showings really loud? Uh, uh, there was definitely a, a sense of complaint, I think, uh, generally in our theater of the loudness that it was oh, just really? too loud for people, but it might've just been in our individual showing. Yeah. I did not have that problem. I didn't, I didn't have an issue with the sound. I, I don't recall it being overly loud. I remember being excited by how beefy it sounded. Um, that's just, you know, a great cinema, but I, I didn't see it as loud. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually appreciated the loud when it was the thriller parts. So, uh, I was, I was grateful for it. And they, they took out the lights from the, uh, the set lights from the grave graveyard scene. So at least they went back and fixed that up as well. <laughs> yes. I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think I realized they removed them. Yeah. They did, uh, Cause I, I deliberately looked for them. Cause I went, you know, if they haven't, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm starting to write that letter. Uh, but uh, no, they, they had. So they're doing something right. <laughs> those those are set lights, aren't they? I don't think I ever realized. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, they are giant set lights. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's so funny. Oh my God. For listeners at home who don't know, when Michael and Ola kind of first walk past the uh, the graveyard and they, I think the camera is pulling back, you basically at the top of the screen will see two big rigged, stage set lights and they're they're massive glowing white have a look if you've never seen it before it may ruin that scene for you um but but i can can say that yeah thankfully they they cleaned that up this time around yeah so let's let's chat about the legacy of the thriller short film so you know as we kind of started this discussion off with the video is so deeply ingrained in our culture that i sometimes and you guys would agree i believe um think that it's easy to lose appreciation for just how important it was and continues to be so james let's start with you um i'd love to hear some thoughts around what you see as the legacy of the short film today in pop culture or whatever you'd like to talk about. The legacy of Thriller is, first of all, I think one thing that I think I appreciate right now about Thriller that I think sort of just came to me watching the Thriller 3D is the realization that the throwback that th- the thriller video is going to sort of the 1950s thing was as old to that audience as the thriller moment is to us now. And it's sort of like this almost like halfway point between, does that make sense? It's kind of like, so, so we're, we're in the theater. I'm eating popcorn, like the Michael Jackson meme watching a movie <laughs> from 30 years ago of Michael Jackson watching a movie from 30 years oh ago God. from that point. It's like this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a David Lynch <laughs> wet like, dream. 
I mean, like, and and it's in and it's in three dimensions, so it's like, it's like, really extra trippy. But like, yeah. So, um, I don't know what that means, but like, I think it does mean something about some the fact that we're in the theater thirty years later watching it means something. Um, I don't know what exactly, but like, there's no one's doing it for any of Madonna's films. Um, Purple Rain, I guess people are kind of doing it for, but that's not, that's not a music video. Um, and I guess even Michael Jackson would argue Thriller itself isn't a music video, but there's no other video from the MTV era that people are going to cinemas for 30 years later. It's, it's not happening with anything else. And I think that summarizes generally, um, or at least sort of quantifies the impact or the importance of the thriller video to to art yeah you're spot on we're not we're not queuing up for um zz top's legs in 3d at the at the um at the cinema (laughs) It, it is i mean look the thriller when it happened shifted the game everything was just raised you know michael and john landis and Michael Peters, you know, took this kitschy kind of, you know, I call it the next thr- uh, the the Netflix and thrill kind of seductive. I'll I'll keep you warm, little girl. Kitschy song that was, you know, a cool groove and stuff, but it wasn't really a kind of like a, a breakthrough landmark song as such compared to like Billie Jean or Beat It. But it just elevated it to a to a level that's never been matched. You've got, you know, unbelievable uh, special effects that hold up. I've got to say, you know, you you kind of can watch some movies from from thirty years ago, and the special effects don't hold up too much. But uh, but these kind of hold up. You know, the iconic dancing, the iconic jacket, the iconic look, the the movie in a movie, the all these kind of elements that just as soon as you know, I watched Thriller when I was a boy. You know, it was game-changing, and it, it still continues to be. That the fact that people, you know, are flash mobs and and people are still, you know, Vincent Patterson is is hosting a dance class in uh, next weekend for people to to kind of learn uh, the Thriller choreography. It it is iconic in a way that. I think Michael probably hoped for, but didn't think would get. Maybe he thought it would be iconic for until the bad album, but it's it's just had this longevity that hasn't been matched. And I think nowadays, seeing it in a cinema with a collective group of people, you almost share that connection to Michael and to the memory of music as being an event because you. You know, for for my generation, we remember watching it premiere on TV. For your generation, it was kind of like discovering it, and and you can kind of it's one of those videos you can remember seeing. And so to see it with a group of people who you wouldn't necessarily, you know, maybe not be hanging out with, to all enjoy that. And I think, especially since Michael's passing, it's a way for people to connect to the Michael they loved. And remembered whether or not they continued being a fan post bad, post dangerous, post history, whatever. Um, 
I, I, I hadn't thought of that, James, about what you were saying about, you know, where we are in time in terms of watching something from 30 years ago that was referencing something from 30 years prior to that is just, that's blown my mind. The fact that we're still talking about it, the fact that Thriller has, you know, become a Halloween moment at every Halloween party, that people know the dance moves. You just raise your hands doing that zombie kind of rock from side to side. People know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I think it gets taught on every cruise ship everywhere now. (laughs) Have you guys gone on a cruise lately? They always teach the Thriller dance. I can't say I have. You know what? If you go on, we joke about it because it's the all you hear on a cruise ship is Michael Jackson because it's just the most universal, safe, feel good, positive music. Like a, a, going on a cruise is literally like listening to Michael Jackson's number one's album. That's interesting. What I really love about all of this is um, just hearing really about the social element of it um, and. Because for me, of course, you know, the the um, legacy of the, the video itself and how it changed other music videos and short films and changed dance sequences, all of that. But also, um, like kind of you've both touched on a little bit is, I mean, just in San Diego, there have been at least three or four thriller flash mobs going on this past month. And dance classes, I've taken dance classes around this time of year to, you know, and of course, if any of, if in, if any of you um, were, were recording this before Vincent Patterson's class uh, in LA, where he is teaching, that is the absolute gold standard. If any of you hear this after Halloween, and you got to go to that class, we'd love to hear from it, uh, from you. But, um, but just to see that social element, which also taps into, James, you were saying, you know, if, if they can do things like just start bringing this iconic imagery and putting that like stand up advertisement that people can take photos with in the theater. People have this visceral reaction to the thriller um, iconography and they will respond to it and it will the the promotion and the marketing I think will take care of itself right there um, in terms of you know them continuing to do new screenings and have that be really successful. Like we will do the legwork. The aud- audience will do it. I'm still waiting for my Snapchat filter that allows me to transform into the workout. You know, done. <laughs> Thriller IMAX done. There you go. I'll take that selfie and and send it. Done. Yeah, and and I think. And I was I was talking about doing the math, and uh, I'm sorry I I don't have the I should have prepped for this part, but it's if you look at the number of screens and just the possible revenue that's in for the estate on this sort of project this year, it's so small. I I don't think they are going to waste their times on their their time on something that is going to remain this small. I I I think uh, I think they see this as a sort of mass draw thing. And I don't know if it's going to be annual or an annual thing that sort of grows and grows, or if it's going to be one big giant national thing tied to one film. I don't know, but uh, I think it's obvious if that's not the case, then they kind of really blew on the marketing completely because there was none.
I'm Ola Ray from the Thriller Video, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. So moving on to our next topic, um, this is a big one, and I don't want it to overshadow the rest of our discussion, but I would like to talk a little bit about the Michael Jackson estate, and specifically in relation to projects like Thriller 3D. So James, maybe we can start with you this time. Um, How do you feel about supporting this and similar projects, knowing what we do about the estate? And do you feel that certain types of projects are okay and others maybe not so much? You know, the estate and I, I guess, sort of have a complicated, I should say I have a complicated view of the estate. You you know, uh, to me, they sort of did, did a handful of wrongs or maybe even truly just one or two wrongs that are truly offenses that I think make them... Uh, unqualified for the for their roles, they may have made dozens of moves that I think are smart. So, you know, I think Thriller Three D is one of their smart moves. I like it. It it was fun. I enjoyed it, and I saw others enjoy it, and I saw others have fun. And uh, I think it's positive. And uh, I'd like to say we should see more of it, but actually, no. I think this is probably all we need for now. So, I feel good about it. And also, let me just follow that up with how do you feel that we can, I guess, send the right kind of message to the estate? Is it just, is it as simple as just saying we'll support Thriller 3D, you know, and we won't support the Michael album or whatever the case may be? Or is there something more that you see that we could do as a community? I think conversation goes a long way. I think they are, it's hard to say. Uh, it's it's almost hard to admit, really, but I think they are, as of late, they have been making really, really great, smart moves. And as someone who is probably reluctant to give them credit for the mere reason that I have been so hurt by some of their decisions, it's it's sort of hard to admit that uh, they're, they're doing the right thing. And uh, truth be told, the more they continue to do smart, good things, I think eventually the more folks will turn around and sort of begin to unite around some of their efforts. And uh, I hope that there's a little more conversation and a little more discussion along the way. Um, And I I hope, uh, I think we're owed a couple explanations. And I think uh, we can have a very healthy relationship with the estate. They're not going anywhere. They do represent Michael Jackson's legal entity and holder of intellectual property. So they are effectively, they are the Michael Jackson machine. And uh, we uh, need to find, I think, comfort in that relationship. And I think we need to be supportive of the good things they do when they do them. And I think they owe us a little bit of fan service too. A lot of that is in the form of true, honest dialogue and I think they know this. I think there have been some attempts for them to um, check that box. Uh, there have been a, fan, a couple of fan Q&A session thingies they've done, but they tend to avoid the actual questions we really have. And uh, they are questions about Michael Jackson's creative works. They are questions about Michael Jackson products. These aren't questions about you know, this man's private life. These aren't invasive questions. There are questions literally about their business and some of their decisions. 
I think we can get to a healthy point if if we can just cross that bridge. Uh, sorry for running on for so long, but um, that's how I feel. No, I think you made a lot of good points. And I think you really kind of focused in on where we can maybe find that balance. Um, and Andy, what about you? What are your feelings? Look, I mean, I concur with everything that James has said. For me, I think it's a personal thing for each fan and what they feel comfortable with. You know, some fans will on principle kind of oppose everything the estate is about and I can respect that and then there are fans um, that feel that everything the estate does is perfect Um, I think that's probably a rare point of view and I think the estate themselves will kind of you know hopefully as as James said put their hand up and say yeah we've made some missteps and some (laughs) major terrible errors but we're trying to do better you know I think in cases like Thriller 3D they are doing something that's a step in the right direction. And I think it's okay for people to, to want to see it. And it's okay for people to, to want to be part of, I think part of the acceptance in a way is that it was something that Michael did. Um, and Michael released and depending on who you talk to was something that Michael was interested in pursuing. Do I want to see a history concert in 3d? No, not interested, but that's just me. And I, and I think that becomes, part of the issue for the community is that sometimes we can become so insular and myopic about what Michael Jackson means to me that how I would run the estate is probably a million miles different to how you would or how James would or, or whoever, because we're all drawn to certain aspects of him. There are some things musically I would support, some things musically I won't support. There are some things in terms of what to release next that, you know, I'm sure all of us have, have great ideas about. I wish there was a, a better open dialogue between the estate and the fan community. But as I said, I think it, it is a difficult one to have because we're also fractured in our own uh, take on what should be done next. And, and, when, and it gets compounded, I think, when, I mean, for me, I, I want the victory tour. I want... Uh, either the Victory Tour, the Triumph Tour, Destiny, all of them, you know, remastered uh, and released Blu-ray or on Netflix or however they want to release it. But I want to see that. But then you have the, you know, the compound thing of all the brothers need to sign off on that. And and you understand kind of in a way the complexity of of running this business. Releasing Ghosts, for example, on Blu-ray would be, to me, a no-brainer. Releasing, you know, they should package this up. If they're not looking at doing any more cinema releases, they should package this up with the making of Michael Jackson's Thriller, include that original special, include 3D renderings, uh, the, the 3D, whether you want to make it the 16.9 or whether you want to keep it the, the 4.3, and package that up um, with 3D glasses. And that to me seems like a no-brainer. That to me seems like the next step of where this particular project should go to next. Now, there may be people listening who go, no way, that's, that's not what they should be doing whatsoever with this. It should just stay in cinemas or whatever. And that's what I'm talking about. That's where we have the, what I would like to see may not be what everyone else wants to see. I think what it comes down to at the end is if you're happy with something that the estate is doing and you feel okay supporting it, support it. If you're not happy with what's, what the estate is doing, don't support it because they're going to see the return on the investment. They're going to see, hopefully, you know, sales of Michael are not continuing. 
And there's a reason for that. And until that reason is addressed, sales of Michael will not continue. You know, whether or not sales of Escape continue or whether or not whatever they put out next is supported, Scream, whatever it is, whether it's supported or not comes back to, I think, how the fans view the legacy as being protected, how they view the legacy is being revered and respected and we're pretty vocal when things aren't respected and uh, we're, we're, you know, we're pretty good at galvanizing behind that. Hopefully we can also galvanize behind uh, when the estate does something that is a step in the right direction. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to wholeheartedly support them, but you can kind of say, okay, this is a project that I support and this is the kind of projects I want more of. I don't want another greatest hits release. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that was really, really well said, Andy. Um, I mean, you you answered all the questions I was going to ask you as follow-up. So thank you. <laughs> um, no, I think you're, you're spot on with that. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, as upset as we might get about certain projects, I do think that, you know, our wallets are ultimately doing the talking in the long term. And that um, hopefully, as you say, just with what what we are buying or not buying, um, the stuff we're not so happy with will slowly go away. Um, Is that going to make some fans okay with the estate? Certainly, you know, not. They're still making some pretty bad choices. But um, but yeah, the best thing we can do is support what we believe in. Um, I did want to touch on also you know, you brought up kind of releasing some of the, you know, the, the victory tour and which I would also love to see. And I wanted to bring up this idea that we're living in a time now where we expect online, we expect everything to be online and available and in high quality, you know, you want to pull up YouTube and see good quality videos. So I think there is an expectation from mainstream viewers to be able to actually access good quality stuff uh, for free. So there, there, I guess the market doesn't quite come into it as much, but, but they need to have that stuff out there. And I do worry a little bit that if they are not remastering kind of all the basic stuff, you know, this is not the vision box set, but really making sure we have good quality stuff available for people to discover. If it's not there, I do worry about uh, Michael's, Jackson's legacy being hurt significantly over time, that discoverability factor really gets hurt in an online world. You know, that that's a really interesting point. And I hope that somewhere somebody is doing that, going back and, and doing a proper remaster, taking the time to do it, not trying to do every short film all at once and let's get it out in a multi-set and make some money, but, but taking a long-term kind of view of these things. And at the same time, I think we as fans have to realize that, well, uh, let me rephrase that. As fans of a certain age, we have to realize that the Star Wars, to draw a parallel, the Star Wars that we saw as a kid that excited us isn't the same Star Wars that kids are seeing now. And so drawing the parallel with with Michael and this Halloween special that that just re-aired this past weekend... I'm not a huge fan of, but I can understand how for a new generation potentially discovering Michael's music through it, it makes sense. 
And for a legacy to continue, you have to get new generations into it. Is it the smartest way to do it? Debatable. But I can understand that that's an approach to try to drawing a new audience. One would hope that Michael's artwork can stand for its own and it just needs to be presented in the best quality possible. And so showing something like Thriller 3D that sees, you know, a a seven-year-old kid see it for the first time and go, oh my God, what is this? I, I need more of this in my life. I need to figure out who this guy is and what music he did. And, and that's the kind of same reaction we had growing up. You know, when we first saw Michael, we had that moment of, wow, this is kind of unique. I, I, I want to know more. So how they serve that new audience to grow and to continue Michael's legacy Otherwise, in all reality, um, I mean, you look at the people who we've lost in the past couple of years, David Bowie, Whitney Houston, George Michael, Prince. Um, the legacy building, they're all, they're all major talents. They're all got the potential to have their music stand the test of time. Prince's estate are making some steps in the right direction, some. George Michael, the, they did that documentary and then there's kind of been nothing. Uh, I mean, they did Listen Without Prejudice special. Whitney, I, it's almost like Whitney fell through the cracks somewhere. And David Bowie, obviously with Black Star, there was a big thing, but there hasn't really been, and I know there's a documentary in the works now, but I guess what I'm saying is these are those artists that in a comparative kind of point of view, you know, people aren't, to go back to James's earlier point, people aren't rushing out to see another now as i say i was about to say whitney as the example but then there was that big documentary that just showed at cinemas (laughs) recently that i'm sure people rushed out to see but i guess what i'm trying to say is that michael stands on his own in in a sense and there is that legacy that needs protecting and for all those artists their legacy needs protecting and and it's how you do that in a way that makes their music still relevant to be played on on radio stations and for people to still hear it rather than it be something that their parents or grandparents pull out from, you know, from a a record and put on this old time machine called a record player to, to listen to once in a while, rather than it still be part of our living collective consciousness moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. What is the, um, the, the album that the Prince album they just released? I'm sorry. I'm clueless on that front. Um, uh, that has just gotten such good reception, um, felt like exactly the right kind of thing to be putting out in the world. Like I haven't purchased, I mean, I, I, I love Prince in a really casual sense. I am apps, as you can tell, I'm no expert on Prince and I have not purchased a Prince album in many years, but this new one they just released made me want to go out and really rediscover Prince in a whole new way. So, yeah, if they can kind of tap into that, I think, with the Michael Jackson estate. But obviously, it's an imperfect thing. As as Andy, you've wisely said, too. I mean, looking at every artist, some of these estates totally fail, and some are doing it just right. And finding that sweet spot is not an easy thing. So I get really angry at these estate 
sometimes for obvious reasons that our listeners will understand very well. But yeah, I sometimes wonder if we can have some understanding there and encourage encourage them when it's working um, that will go in the right direction. But hopefully, you know, we will see in the estate just that desire to to be remastering stuff, whether it's not whether or not it's going to sell. 10 million copies just to have just to have it there and have it available so he's not forgotten i i just the michael jackson estate um from what i'm beginning to i believe understand about them purely just from my own perspective is that they aren't interested in victory tour releases they aren't interested in ghosts remasterings although maybe what they are interested in is a more Disney-like model for Michael Jackson's IP, specifically Thriller, I think, mm-hmm. and specifically the idea of Michael Jackson being some sort of Halloween tradition. And yes. um, they're aiming it to kids. And in a lot of ways, they are, again, I say this very hesitantly, in a lot of ways, I think they are sort of uh, fulfilling a part of Michael Jackson's vision. And I think they've simplified to a young, in order to tap into a young generation, which is very hard to tap into when they've got Paw Patrols and TMNT Ninja Turtles and Fortnite and whatever fly by night stuff comes and goes um, to reach those audiences with Michael Jackson, he's going to need to be cartoonified a bit and he's going to need to be sort of simplified a bit into sort of a character. And I think Michael Jackson's Hollywood special, Michael Jackson's thriller 3D before a children's movie indicates an idea of who they're targeting and what they plan on pitching Michael Jackson as in terms of uh, legacy. And uh, examples would be uh, Alfred Hitchcock, we all think of Psycho, or The Birds. And he has a very iconic image and very iconic look. Edgar Allan Poe, we think of The Raven, and we think of his iconic image and his iconic look. They are these, these great artists through time that you would think I respect, and I would say I respect Alfred Hitchcock, and I would say I'd respect Edgar Allan Poe. But do I really? I only know that very simplified, sort of catered view of that history of those people. I, I know the characters. I don't actually know the men, and or the artist, I should say. And uh, I think that's what they're doing with Michael. And I would say, even though to us, it means they're throwing away the victory tour and they're throwing away... Ghost is a bad example because they could actually use ghosts in their little... in this sort of horror-themed character that they may be building. Or I should say horror-themed brand rather than character because although literally in that cartoon movie, he was a character. But uh, they're not interested in... They're throwing away the those deep cuts that we love so much in exchange for a far more simplified, far more marketable version of Michael Jackson that will probably live for a very, very, very long time. 
And it's sort of hard to say, hard to articulate, and it part of it sounds very cruel. But I, I think in order for Michael to live on, we probably won't be hearing much about the Victory Tour. You know, David Bowie said that most artists are remembered for three things. And that's all you can kind of hope for. And so, you know, for Michael, it might be the moonwalk, the single glove, and Thriller as an album and as, as the short film. That makes it four. But, <laughs> you know, I, I hear what you're saying, James, and I, I, part of my mind can understand it, but I, my pushback to them would be, well, look at the Beatles. You're not necessarily just focusing on the I want to hold your hand Beatles or you're not just focusing on the Sgt. Pepper Beatles. There is a journey to be taken with Michael and I think he can be more than just Thriller in the same way that Prince can be more than just Purple Rain. But again, I kind of I hear what people are saying and I get that if you ask most people on the street, you know, name three Prince songs, they're probably going to be from the Purple Rain era for the most part. And for the most part with Michael, they're definitely going to be pulling a lot from, from Thriller. It is a tricky situation because, you know, as, as we all have expressed, what Michael means to us personally is a journey. And to see him potentially reduced down to a moment rather than a journey is sometimes hard to wrap our heads around. And I I think that's going to be the challenge that they face with the musical that they're looking at, the Broadway musical that they're looking at pulling together. There is a way to tell Michael's story. And I think you have to go to potentially sort of the Grammy Awards and in off the wall and have him kind of say, okay, well, let me show them on this next one. But the journey that's kind of like the spark for, for the Michael Jackson we all know, I guess. And you can look retrospectively to the, to the Jackson 5 and the, the growth through there and to, to Off the Wall and then the spark that, that lit for Thriller and then beyond. But as long as the story continues beyond just one note, then I, I'm kind of more comfortable with that. I, I agree. I think, I mean, I think equally as compelling as Michael's art is, um, and really, they're one and the same in truth. They, they aren't separate. But equally as compelling is Michael Jackson, the man and his life, and the Michael Jackson story, which the estate has not touched at all. The Spike Lee documentaries probably get closest, and I think Off the Wall probably is the, the, gets the closest to anything of any depth. But I think the big reason why the estate has sort of ignored Michael Jackson the story is uh, that story involves race issues which you know is somewhat hard to market Uh, that story involves terrible terrible allegations and uh, you know that that story involves drug addiction Um, but it's it's a true story and it's it's a, a story of an innocent man sort of on the run for 10 years. It's a, it's a very human story that I think it's, it's like rags to riches, to, to fallen star to Phoenix rising from the ashes, ashes as a 
legend for all time. It's a unbelievable story that um, others have failed to tell and they fail to tell them because they don't have the resources. They don't have, they don't even have the, the rights to use Michael Jackson's music. How are they going to pull off telling that story, at least in a, in a film, for example? And the stage show is, is probably going to be more Michael Jackson, the series of characters, than it will be Michael Jackson, the black child from Gary, who died the uh, most legendary artist the world has ever known. Um, they inherently play it safe. They have to play it safe. And I, I think uh, it's because they're taking a more Disney-like model, I think is the easiest way to summarize what I think they're doing where by Disney like model, I mean, where, you know, Pinocchio is the thriller film and, and, uh, Cinderella is the smooth criminal short. And, uh, you know, the bad album was a, you know, so, so it's, it's a series of eras or series of projects rather than anything that represents the work of one man who faced trouble. James, I think you're totally right. And um, and yeah, that, that Disneyfication too, I mean, makes me think with the Michael Jackson's Halloween. I mean, his image is almost completely erased from that cartoon until the very, very end where we get, again, just that one iconic version of him. And he doesn't speak, I don't believe, as I recall. Um, and he's kind of this strange, like, you know, doesn't almost really seem like he has a person inside his little cartoon character. So yeah, I think I think you're totally right. But you know, on the other hand, there's still so much there's still so much backlash towards him uh, during those you know tough years that he had. And I hope and and I feel a little bit hopeful that time will change that a bit. Um, I think even actually, I was talking to Q online earlier today, and he was at the big store Zara, and they had thriller t shirts there and just some things like that, where we are starting to, I think, even though yeah, that was thriller, and that is just part of this, you know, very basic iconography, but at least though, we're starting to see, I think that imagery kind of filter back into really mainstream places that maybe over time, um, things can things can change. But my hope is that we don't just get stuck in those like three or four images and that we can really tell the story like you said. The Yeah, and I think it's, especially in those later years, I think the History album is so brilliant. And the fact that it's called His Story, I think, at least in my view, I've always saw as this hokey little thing. But... Uh, it really, it really does tell his story when when you look at it as a cohesive piece, and the fact that it ends with "Smile," which is a song about having to fake happy, and a song about maybe tomorrow uh, life will be worthwhile. Which means today, by the way, he feels life is not worthwhile. I mean, how tragic is that? And we as fans appreciate that story we appreciate the michael jackson story the man and the ambition and ultimately the struggle and their plan 
and I'm not saying this as a complaint. I'm just saying this as a matter of fact, and because uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about it. But their plan is clearly to never tell that story. Their plan is to simplify and rewrite this man into a series of caricatures that at least Michael Jackson partially formed himself, but uh, they are going to be in isolation from whatever reality Michael Jackson was truly facing at that point in his life or career. And uh, it's it's just what's going to happen. And it's, it's what they've been doing. And uh, um, I can see why. But we are, we are seeing the real Michael Jackson sort of... We see the beginnings of the real Michael Jackson to sort of be tucked away, being, being brought back into the archives. And, uh, and instead, these new exhibits of Michael Jackson are being assembled that require a little bit of whiz-bang and pop, modern-day whiz-bang pops like 3D or computer animation to be attractive. These are Michael Jackson exhibits. They are not actually Michael Jackson projects. And we're seeing the actual projects being put into the archives almost for the true enthusiasts or researchers um, to find because all they're presenting and all they're selling are these newfangled exhibits. Does that make sense? And that's the Disney model I'm talking about. Right. Um, where they, they bring it out with with some new reason to see it again. And I look, and I think that in this instance, tying it back to, to Thriller 3D kind of is a, a good way to reintroduce. Look, as, as someone who has written and writes about Michael it is difficult to kind of encapsulate him as a complete man, artist, journeyman who went through trials and tribulations that no one should ever have to go through. And it's difficult when you're writing about the music to not touch on those aspects. But at the same time, you don't want to have them overshadow the power of the music and you don't want to feed false, false allegations and give more focus on them. You don't, want to kind of remind people if they hadn't thought of it for a while. And so I understand that that's a tricky kind of path to navigate. And I also think we, you know, us as diehard fans or enthralled fans are on a different level to the, to the casual listener who loves the way you make me feel and loves black or white and loves Billie Jean, but doesn't know who is it and doesn't know morphine and doesn't know in the back we may not be the audience that the estate is moving towards. I agree. I don't, we are not their priority. Our priority are the 12 year olds who are downloading or listening to movie, to music on Spotify and, you know, and discovering things that way. You know, Michael Jackson, if he were still alive, um, would be turning 60 this year, right? Or had just would have just turned 60. Sorry. And uh, do you think we would have a Thriller 3D? Do you think this is the kind of... How contemporary was he really interested in being? And would he still desire to be a contemporary artist? By contemporary, I mean 
producing and releasing truly new material, writing new material, writing and releasing new material? Or do you think he would eventually sort of take this kind of approach where he becomes iconic caricature from an era? Do you think that would be his approach, how he would handle his brand? Look, I I don't know the answer. I think Michael probably would have enjoyed Thriller 3D. I think Michael probably would have enjoyed seeing how it played out. Um, I think he... I think Michael was an artist who was shackled to the past and the success of Thriller and was kind of constantly in that shadow but was also an artist struggling to break free of it but he didn't mind celebrating it. So I think he he would have turned back to, you know, it's it's well known that he wanted to have a Halloween special of some sort that that would be the... Know, the Charlie Brown of of its day. Would he be doing that? Would he be doing a, a Cirque du Soleil kind of retrospective show? Possibly. Would he be doing new music and would he be releasing it still? It, it may be under a different model. It, it might be what he was planning to do with This Is It, which was like release a single, couple of months, release another single, couple of months, release another single and build an album that way rather than feel the need to drop, you know, 16 tracks all at once and here's a new project that I've got to, you know, constantly invest in. I mean, it's interesting. There aren't many artists of his time that are still doing stuff in an interesting fashion that aren't playing the catalogue tour or the or the album retrospective, you know, we're now touring this album and we're going to play this album in its entirety from, from track one through to track 10. You know, would he be in that space? I don't know. I don't know whether Michael would have withdrawn more from touring and, and things like that and maybe even releasing albums and feeling more focused on protecting that legacy and doing something about it and, maybe Thriller 3D w- would have been something that he would have loved to have done. It's hard. It's really hard to say because n- n- no one can guarantee. And I, and I think therein lies the, the issue for the estate. If you're going to cut the many slack, therein lies it. Because you can say, yeah, let's, you know, what us as fans say, you know, let's get Quincy and Bruce and all the people back in the room to to finish these songs or to whatever, if they're going to be finished, get them to do it. But then I'm sure if you put those five people in the room, they would probably still argue about what Michael would have wanted to do on this track. So it's, you know, it's, it's difficult. There's part of me that says, you know, what he did, what he left us was such an amazing canon of music and art and, and vision that that can stand alone. And in an era of Spotify where, sure, people may be discovering his music through, quote-unquote, the hits, you are going to have those people who love music and want to hear more, so they're going to go, okay, well, what was this album off? And then they're discovering A Lady in My Life, or they're discovering a She Drives Me Wild, or they're discovering a It's the Falling in Love. And maybe they're they're then going back in, in the way that, you know, people are still discovering the Beatles. They're, they're kind of going back into the albums and maybe the albums don't necessarily have to be self-serving in that respect. 
but they can be a discoverable thing for them, but it may not be their, their gateway in.
Just to wrap up and kind of get to final thoughts, I'd love to hear if, you know, based on everything we've just been talking about, Andy, we may already know your answer, but um, if either of you have kind of what you see as the absolutely ideal next project for the estate to invest in and release... Andy, is there something besides the, the victory tour you'd want to see? I think the, the next logical step is Thriller 3D packaged in some way that, that can be ownable, whether that's packaged with the, the making of Thriller, whether that's packaged as a Blu-ray for, for 3D purpose at home. That to me seems like the logical step. Um, I would love to see... And, and again, I'm kind of the, the career person, but I would love to see a um, a comprehensive outtakes album or a comprehensive demos album or something that that looked at Michael as a as a singer songwriter musician rather than a performer, if that makes sense. Something that kind of puts the focus back on his songwriting and, and how he has developed songs and 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 how he how he left songs for whatever reason unfinished and i think they should almost be left in that way or at the very least presented alongside something if it's going to be changed you know i would love to see the victory tour i think anyone who knows me knows that ghosts i would love to see ghosts on blu ray i'd love to see captain eo get released and have a special box. Yeah, how does Captain EO not exist in a released format? It's crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and again, you could have the making of Captain EO and you could make it a little bit more than just the the 11 minutes or whatever it is. Um, I think there's so much you can do based on what Michael gifted us with that you don't necessarily have to start getting new people in to contemporize, in inverted commas, his music. Um, I, I would love, uh, you know, I think we talked about this on the Thriller Roundtable. I would love to to get a double edition of Thriller. Thriller, the album as it got released, and now in the digital space and even on CDs, you could have Thriller as it was intended with the extra verses, with the, the longer running time of songs. And that's not to replace, but it's just to inform. And that way you can understand the choices they made, but you can also hear what they were aiming for at the beginning. And James, what about you? Do you have any dream projects? Obviously, everything Andy named, I would. Yeah, I would truly. Too. I would. I would snap up. James, I um, left you MJ's pets being re-released. So go on. Oh, uh, except for those. What? You don't remember those? You know what? I'm surprised those aren't more of like a meme because they are quite like the whole idea of them is quite ridiculous. <laughs> That, now there's there's a misstep Michael took with with marketing and and you know releasing stuff. So I feel like in that era, the Michael Jackson name was put on a lot of junk. I think, um, and uh, so perhaps we're being a little hard on uh, some of the choices, some of the junk uh, his name is being put on now. And it's not all junk, of course. You, you know, I think the Drake release this year is uh, probably a lot more significant uh, than we realize. And uh, it's even though, even though I'm not exactly thrilled, I'm 100% with how it was executed, I guess, from a technical production perspective, I, I, I do like the concept. And even if you're one who doesn't like the concept, you certainly can understand that it will work and it is working and it did work for Drake and it is still working for Drake. I think it was kind of just officially released as a single, just like October 9th or something. Clearly uh, they believe the Michael Jackson hook is a boost on relevant artists today. And uh, I think that would be a fair way to release Michael Jackson's unreleased music in a way that it would have a reach uh, far more massive than what would ultimately add up to be at most, you know, one or two million fans that will purchase, you know, a million copies at best of some of this unreleased stuff. And, uh, and And I know purchases aren't the big factor, but streaming is and and uh, that Drake song for several days was the number one most streamed song on Spotify. I think that's what we're going to see. And I think it it's sort of, we've heard of the duets album thing, which is rooted in the idea that is that most of the songs Michael Jackson left behind or many of the songs Michael Jackson left behind are incomplete and are mainly just hooks and uh, vocally at least. And uh, it seems like the Drake thing is a test for that. Do they use the best song? I don't necessarily think so. Do they handle it the best way? I don't necessarily think so. 
but uh, in concept, the strategy is absolutely a good one. So we'll probably see more of that, is my point. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, guys, I think you said it all on that front. You have, Andy, you have mentioned all of my dream projects, everything I want in my little in my little library at home. And just everything you guys said has been so terrific. Thank you so, so much. Um, any last thoughts? Uh, Thriller the Song is currently 79 on the iTunes charts. Videos, it is currently number two in um in music videos so uh oh wow when we wow. talk about legacy and especially this time of year halloween it is definitely something that that people are still being drawn to so that's kind of where i would end it for me james what about you <laughs> final thoughts thriller is uh thriller is actually really great and it's <laughs> And it might <laughs> might not be news to you, but you know it's sort of like oh thriller check the box like gotta have thriller check the box, um, and actually no it's worthy of pretty much all the attention it gets, and it is a brilliant piece of film that required many great artists. Michael Jackson's vision and foresight for it is unbelievable. The fact that we're even talking about it thirty years later shows. He was leagues above and beyond any of his peers. So, yeah, Thriller is amazing. That's my final thought. (laughs) Well, I fully agree. So everybody out there, keep watching Thriller. Keep um, going to your Thriller dance classes and doing your flash mobs and dressing up as zombies and doing your cruise ship dances. Um, Hopefully we'll have more Thriller 3D to come. um, And you'll certainly be hearing about those developments on the MJ cast in the future and hopefully all around. And hopefully the information won't be quite so hard to find in the future too. So we can all go see it. Anyway, guys, I think that about wraps it up. I want to thank both of you, James and Andy, for being a part of this chat. This was so much fun. You guys had so many good things to say, and I just really appreciate you being there. Um, Andy, thank you so much for all the amazing content you bring. Your eBooks are fantastic. Can't wait for the Invincible book. And James, a really big thank you to you for all of your generosity and your back end support that you've given the MJ cast over the past several years. You really are a vital part of our team and our listeners probably don't hear that quite enough. Um, I also want to thank Jamin and Q for trusting in me to run this little show today um, and for all their support. This has been an amazing season four and I'm so excited for the future. And for listeners, just remember that you can find us all across social media. We're under the MJ cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also contact us by email at the MJCast at iCloud.com. Please subscribe as that does help us grow. And if you take those 30 extra seconds to rate and review us, it really helps us get attention and makes a difference to the MJ cast. Other than that, I hope you guys have a fantastic thriller night slash Halloween ahead. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks for a new episode. This is Elise signing off from the MJ cast. Stay bad.
Excellent. Ex- you beautiful, were fantastic. Beautiful job. <laughs> Bravo. Are we just basically going to trash talk Jamin and Q? Is this where? <laughs> yes, yes. Hey, Jamin and Q. Uh, <laughs> Andy, I wanted to ask, do you actually have a date for when the Invincible book is going to come out? Or is that just kind of like when it's ready? Uh, that is a really good question. Um, <laughs> it's been a funny one because Invisible is an album which I love, um, but it's also an album which I don't listen to probably enough. I find it a challenging album to to, to listen to in a sitting. I think it's got a lot of yeah. great individual tracks. I think it suffers from sequencing. So I, I'm trying to take my time on it, but I did give myself like I think November the 11th or something. I think I gave myself, uh, I'm the kind of writer where I'm like, I need a deadline. Otherwise I'm not going to write it. Otherwise I will okay. wait for the 30th anniversary <laughs> and, and release it then. <laughs> so I'm actually, I'm just uh, pulling up the release date. Invincible Michael Jackson album came out. Oh dear. October 30. Well, that ain't happening. Um, <laughs> that's a week away. <laughs> it'll, it'll happen in the next couple of months. And I'm, I'm taking my time just because Songs that I'm not necessarily passionate about or revisit that often, I want to give as much attention and uh, respect to and honesty to in the same way that a track that I absolutely adore, like, say, Butterflies, that I can write about for days. So I want to kind of give the same time and, and input and respect to the songs even if i'm not a fan of it and even if the end result of the outtake of my critique or review on it on a a particular song isn't uh, overly positive i still want it to be respected so um let's say mid-november and i'll uh i'll I'll shoot from there yeah no i'm i'm really curious to read it because the invincible album like for a lot of fans as the one album I've, you know, always kind of struggled with, especially like you say, kind of sitting down and really listening to the whole thing as an experience. So I am relying on you to guide me through it so that I can experience it in a whole new way. No pressure. <laughs> and, um, and then what about, about you, James, what are you doing for Halloween? For Halloween? You know what? I, I have not been invited to anything. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 wait, I have. Sorry. Yes, I am going to a party, and I don't know what I'm dressing as. Uh, Halloween's a great time every year. It's uh, uh, The only thing I hate about it, though, is when Thriller does come on, and everyone, like, looks at me and <laughs> expects, expects me to, like, do something. Like, uh, nope, I'm pretty much just gonna, like, not do anything. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know the dance moves, I'm not going to spontaneously bust them out, um, <laughs> but uh, not nothing exciting. Uh, just a, a couple of low key parties. Andy, can you do the thriller dance? Yeah, the whole thing. What do you mean, like the whole thing? Well, I mean, you know every step, and you do it with enthusiasm. Yes, I, I even like Michael's little thing. I, I'm one day I will have to hunt it out. I did a um. God, I don't know how old I was, like maybe 11 or something. And I, uh, our, our family had the first ever kind of home video camera sort of thing. And um, I do, I think I do, I do Billie Jean and Beat It. And then I think another time I did Thriller. Um, but yeah, I would, like many people have done, I would 
like plant myself in front of the VCR and play the clip over and over and pause and learn this move and yeah, did it with any any Michael and Janet numbers. I was like all over and uh, the the funny thing is there was there's that moment in This Is It where um, one of the dance one of the choreographers is kind of like saying they have to teach the kids the new dancers to kind of do the steps in the opposite direction because everybody learned watching the videos and so would move left to, to move with the characters on screen who are moving right. So, uh, yeah. So, but uh, no, I can, I can bust out the moves when, when needed. <laughs> well, another thing we're relying on you for. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Uh, no, I'm terrible at the thriller dance even though I have tried to learn it, I don't know what my problem is. I actually, I actually do dance. I tap dance and I do soul line dancing. So I would think I could grasp the twi- the, the thriller dance, but um, I'm really terrible at it. So someday, someday. So here's a question for you both. When you were watching Thriller 3D in the cinema, who else was kind of doing the shoulder moves and, and moving to one side of the seat and sliding back and like dancing in your seat in time with the, were you, were you guilty of that as well? Or was it, or was that just me? Oh, 100%. I, I, I can't, I can't, the truth is I can't resist. I can't resist. Um, and, and, and when I'm, and honestly, when I'm alone, like I, I would totally, you know, pop a, tr- attempt to pop a spin here and there or, or whatever when listening to Michael, but, um, the do you guys face the pressure like because I, I, i'm sure you're you're out as mj fans within your f- friendship circles <laughs> when it, with like i mean do they all look at you like okay you're up you got to do it yeah look any any party that you're at if a michael song comes on and you know everyone kind of it, it is true everyone kind of looks at you and everyone kind of forms a circle around and it's like okay show us now dance dance um so it's uh you know it's just uh, that's what people look at it's kind of like you're you're gonna do this moment it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure i can't take it it's i fold under it i'm like please stop looking at me i can tell you're crumbling james right in this conversation so but, but what you do james all you need to do is like stand in the moment freeze and when everyone says what the hell are you doing you're doing just say i'm doing all the raise part (laughs) <laughs> it's, yeah that's brilliant like i'm doing it and i'm every beat i'm like i'm on it <laughs> that's, you know what that's brilliant that's brilliant i love it that's good <laughs> the mj cast